Is there any uh, concern on your part that uh, you'll just get labeled Mr. Rocketeer and that it'll hinder your career down the line? Uh, I suppose that's a that's a possibility, but uh, I'm I'm really not concerned about it <laughs> at this point. Um, geez, I told somebody yesterday. I think uh, it's uh, me worrying about being stereotyped. It's, it's a bit like a, uh, a starving man going to a banquet and. Being worried about getting fat, you know, it's, <laughs> it just didn't seem like it's a a concern right now. Welcome to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. For those of you joining or have never heard the podcast, this is the podcast where we go back and reevaluate films that bombed at the box office or just didn't really do that well with the critics. Uh, Brad, episode 110, we're going to talk about a movie tonight that I think was on the original list way back like a few years ago when when we kind of started this thing, right? This podcast might have been an excuse to get us three to talk about The Rocketeer. Yes. It so, might have been an excuse for that. I, I think so. We uh, we are going to talk about a film that we've kind of been sitting on. I don't know why we did it earlier, other than I think we just really wanted to find our groove. Uh, and th- this is, for me, one of those films that sit in the pantheon. But if we were going to talk about a movie this amazing, this spectacular, we had to bring on somebody who was just as, a, as amazing and spectacular as this film. So we reached out and we brought our good friend Charlie to the show. Charlie, how are you doing today? I thought you were going to say you were going. To, you got Billy Campbell, but he wasn't available, so you got me. So, um, yeah, I'm wonderful. This is the like, Troy. This is our second podcast ever about the Rocketeer. <laughs> yes, and I'm very excited about it. About ten years ago, you and I used to have a a, a show called Movie Matchup, mm-hmm. and we matched this this puppy up against the original Captain America. Yep, and in a duel to the to the death. And uh, man, I, I will. I just I, I think I would be good for a, uh, an annual rocketeer podcast like I, I just i just feel like i just got done watching three no four episodes of the disney rocketeer disney junior rocketeer television show that came out and was canceled just like the rocketeer um uh recently so i'm, I'm very in a rocketeer state of mind awesome yeah i don't i don't know about the rest of you i think i've spent the entire week in just anything related to the rocketeer I just dove right into um, and have been pulling out all my old Rocketeer action figures, um, movie studio cards that I, I can't remember if Tops put out or something, the novella, um, you name it, anything Rocketeer. I, I've just been going down memory lane uh, every day that I'm at work in my home office. I, I look up and the poster from 1991, the teaser poster, sort of the Art Deco is always sitting there. It's my favorite movie poster of all time. But I, I don't know about you guys. I've just I've just washed myself in anything Rocketeer this week. I like kind of held off on watching this because I was just waiting for the per- perfect more moments. And this morning, like I had my coffee, was feeling great. I was like, I'm watching the Rocketeer this morning, and it was perfect. Oh, so okay. I was just I, I don't know. I just wanted to find that perfect moment 
to put this on. To be honest, like probably the both of you, I could have done this podcast without watching it this week. Oh, yeah. I've seen The Rocketeer 50 times. So I didn't need to watch it, but of course I did. Because any excuse to rewatch this thing is uh, an excuse I'll take. So did all three of us happen to see this in the theater when it came out? I was thinking about that, yes, because this was in the times when I was going. So I'd seen Batman 89, Ninja Turtles, and then this. So this was like one of the first five movies I saw in the theater. Oh, okay. I actually was still uh, a wee lad uh, of four years old when this came out. So I just wasn't there yet. But at the same time, like I- I- I'm like 99% certain that we had this on VHS and I just beat the ever living pulp out of it. Um, <laughs> what's, so, the shell, what's the shell case white? Did it have a white? Yeah. Oh, shell, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. White, white shell case. Yeah. Yeah. This, this for me was, uh, since I'm a little bit older, I, I had just finished my freshman year of college, had gone back, uh, to work this summer at the movie theater and, uh, got to experience this film and because it was playing at the movie theater, got to see it, I don't know how many times, just over and over again, it immediately fell in love with it. So I think um, for anybody listening, you know where we're going to fall on this one because we, we're not sort of hiding or being coy about our feelings about the film. It's, it's one of the ones that, I don't know for you guys, you have those films that are comfort food and you just love watching, right? So no matter what's going on, you can put this in, you can watch it. But when we get to sharing our thoughts, this is the warmest of blankets you can put on. It it is, but I'll have a question for you guys a little bit later on. There are, there's just a, just a whole staple of comfort food movies that I like, but I got to say most of the time you could easily switch your brain off and enjoy it. But when you get too critical with those movies, they start to fall apart. Meaning your comfort food is kind of like your Twinkies, right? You, you can, just have them every once in a while, but by no means are you going to champion those as just great filmmaking. So one of the things I'm going to, that I'm just going to ask you guys when we get to our thoughts on the film, does this transcend um, what would be a typical comfort food film and actually get into some high quality? But before we get into that, we always start Brad kind of taking a trip down memory lane to see how this thing performed when it originally came out. Cause it's, it's showing up on a podcast called not a bomb which means this thing didn't do so hot when it came out. Right. Yeah. And when I look at this date, I'm like, Oh, 1991 wasn't too long ago. 1991 was 31 years ago. So um, (laughs) let's all kill ourselves. Uh, So the Rocketeer was released June 21st, 1991 with a reported budget of $40 million. Um, That's a lot of money in 1991 money. Yeah, what is that? Did you, did you uh, adjust that Brad? I, I, I didn't, I can't, I, it's gotta be like 10, $10 billion. Yeah. It's point, yeah. Like. It's yeah. It's a billion dollars or something. Now it's probably a hundred. I'm guessing. Did it start roughly. out that way? Was it, wasn't it originally like a $25 million yeah. budget? <clears throat> it kind of ballooned up there a little bit. Okay. Um, box office return was $46 million. That's all domestic. Now you say Brad, 46, the alligator mouth eats the 46 over the 40. And I would say, yes, that's correct. <laughs> but that's just production. So if you're only making 6 million off of your production, you know, you haven't even started marketing your film, distributing your film, anything like that. So you are probably not making a profit off of this movie. And sadly, that's why we never saw much of the Rocketeer after 1991. Um, opening weekend, it makes $9.6 million. 
Um, that's good enough for fourth place Ooh, domestically. Um, now, there's some pretty uh, pretty cool movies out when this comes out. So I said it was in fourth place. Um, it comes out behind Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Okay, that's fair. Which I did see that in the theater. Yeah. Because that Ryan Adams song. I did song, see that, man. Yeah. The Ryan Adams song had me. Um, Bri- do you say Ryan or Brian? Brian Adams. Okay, make sure. Brian. Brian, okay. the Canadian. Right. Got it. Yep. Um, the City Slickers, Dying Young, and then, like I said, The Rocketeer. Rotten Tomatoes. Did Did you all look at this? No. Did I, you look at this? I, I avoid. Yeah. So I, I did my own research. I'll tell you that in a little bit. But oh, I, the vaccines are fake. Is that what you're going <laughs> to <laughs> do? Your own research. All right. The Illuminati's coming for the Rocketeer. The Rocketeer was a deep state film. The Rocketeer was on the grassy knoll January 6th. Okay. <laughs> Dang the it. Rocketeers turned the frogs gay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I uh, I did a different style, a specific uh, research. Uh, uh, but no, I specifically avoided it because I wanted you to give us the, the 411. Right. So critically, the Rocketeer sits at 66%. So two thirds of critics think this movie is great. Okay. One third of them think it's not. Guys, guys. <laughs> I, I can't with this. And then the audience <laughs> with 50,000 plus reviews, 65%. See that, that one feels low yes. based on people. Now, again, I think the group that we hang out with are film connoisseurs, but I, I just would have thought that percentage would have been much, much higher. It w- yeah. That's I, 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 yeah. You know, we, we run in the circle where the rocketeer is on Mount Rushmore. So I just assumed everyone. I, but that. that's, I mean, you uh, you guys do these all the time, and like you know, you know, I feel like it's generally one or the other where you have a higher audience versus or mm-hmm. a higher critic, and it's just like when it's that damn close. I mean, that's almost spot on. It's just odd to me. Like I don't know, maybe that just kind of explains why this movie is what it is, and um, why the you know television. Disney Junior program also was canceled, but I just uh, uh, it's odd. It's just odd. I, I will say Cisco Niebert two thumbs up. So wow. good on them. There you go. They're they're on the uh, right side of history, right there. I think they're on the DVD, um, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah, the the DVD poster art. Yep, two yep. thumbs up. Okay. <clears throat> the only review that we care about, Troy, <laughs> is our Christian website website. And it is movieguy.org. And the Rocketeer sits at a minus one. Oh, a minus one. Yes. That's pretty uh, good compared of, to the ones that you, you want to refresh everybody on the rating scale. Yeah, so uh, movie guide goes from minus four to plus four, plus four being, you know, holier than now. Uh, minus four. Being God's two, not dead. <laughs> two gay, two gay guys holding hands is minus four. Okay. Um, I will say it says that violence is Heavy, heavy violence in the Rocketeer. Heavy. Okay. See, they're upset that there's Nazis in it and the Nazis are getting shot. They, yeah, the bad upset. guys, the Nazis are the bad guys. <clears throat> so here's the content. Four minor obscenities, mostly H. Okay. That's hell. That's mm-hmm. hell for you and me. <laughs> extreme extreme violence, shooting scenes, murder, fiery explosions, automobile and plane wrecks, people held at gunpoint, knife slash weapon fighting interrogation scenes 
Man's hands held behind his back as his face is pushed towards a sizzling grill in a cafe. Very specific. Yes. Yeah. A slight sexual innuendo gazing upon women's breasts, referring to a man's D that's dick <laughs> and woman drugged with chloroform. They, they don't mention the bending people in half. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Oh, no, no, Otho. Uh, Lothar. You know. Okay. Oh, Lothar. Yeah. Sorry. Go back to Beetlejuice with Otho. Yeah, okay. Um, By the and- way, I did want to interject that you mentioned hell. Like that you said the word hell. Um, one of the things I caught this time around, um, cause I've probably seen this movie like, I don't know, two dozen times uh, there in the opening sequence when they're, uh, or not open season, when, when they're at the airfield and like the Rocketeer shows up for the first time um, and they are looking for the jetpack, like the gangsters are looking for the jetpack. One of like the underlings of the gangsters, uh, a direct quote, he says, man, we searched this thing from hell to breakfast <laughs> and I fucking stopped my soul. I left. I was like, I have never in my life said so i've searched something from hell to breakfast I am and i am now yeah. because we ain't found shit for <laughs> hell to breakfast yep from hell to breakfast and i just i it it moved me like it was just it's <laughs> all i can say because now anytime anything ever happens i am gonna be like well i searched it from hell to breakfast and uh what does that even came- mean exactly <laughs> i'm just trying to <laughs> Wrap my that's that feels like one of those things my mom would say. I, I mean, she's gonna turn 80 next month, and and she would have these sayings. Now we're digressing on these type of sayings. Like for years, when <laughs> when she would give a compliment, like you're doing really well, she would go, Wow, you're you're really shitting in tall corn. And I'm I'm like, What well, what does I mean, that mean? <laughs> it's, just, it's just a mad lib. Like it's just I don't know where it came from, but hell to breakfast. Hell to breakfast. Just, okay. I mean, oh I get my it. Lord. Like my mom would say Mother Mary or Joseph or what you know, all the all the shit, but yeah, hell to breakfast is I kind I kinda get my mom saying shit like, hey, if if you're gonna take a public, you know, defecation somewhere and you're tall corn, people can't see, I get it. Like that's yeah. a luxury. The hell Plus to breakfast thing. Like I, don't fertilizer get it. Too, right? I guess. I don't know. I, I just um, I don't understand some of these sayings that would come from the, the time period we'll get into that. I actually think that's one of the charming things about this film is some of the sayings that come out of it, uh, because they, they obviously did a lot of research to sort of capture the authenticity. Uh, anything else you wanted to share, yeah, Brad, in yeah, terms so, of reviews and uh, stuff? In the theater, June of 1991, you also could have seen city slickers mm-hmm. guys. If I told you this, the original city slickers made $124 million. Would you say I'm lying? Because I'm not. It made 124 million. I, I believe it. It was. Yeah. It was always. It was always busy when we worked in the movie theaters. It that was a that was a big hit. Yeah. Uh, Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead, which is a oh. movie. Oh, good. Uh, Jungle Fever. God, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves made almost 400 million dollars. I was going to say what two billion? Yeah. Oh. Dying. I've seen that movie seventy thousand yeah. times. I that's uh, and I've heard that Brian Adams song seventy billion times. Yes, uh, Dying Young, uh, Suburban Commando. You're a Dead Man Ramsey. I've seen that movie. Um, let's see, Akira finally makes its way stateside. Uh, and Lethal or Lethal Weapon, Naked Gun, two and a half. The Smell of Fear. Ooh. comes out. I can, you know what? I enjoy all those movies. I can't. T- I could not tell you which one is which at all. 
I cannot differentiate from any of those films. Well, no, the first one is by far the best. It, it is. Enrico I've just Palazzo. seen them all like in a blend. I mean, like I grew up on those on HBO. So like I've seen them all the same number of times. Top and Secret I, I is can, still a superior film, but w- I digress. Hey, it's yeah. Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let, let's talk about the people who worked behind the camera in front of the camera. We're going to start with director Joe Johnston. So I, if you want to hear our thoughts on Joe, Charlie, you and I have talked about this many, many times. Man, way too many times. Yeah, Joe. We've spent too much of our life talking about Joe Johnston. We have. Uh, and, and a great example um, of Joe Johnston's filmography, go back and listen to our Wolfman episode um, because we did cover 2010's I'm Wolfman. Mad about that. Now, keep in mind, The Rocketeer, this was Joe's second film as a director. So if you if you want to hear the history of Joe, go listen to the Wolfman episode. Prior to this, he had directed Honey, I Shrunk the Kids from 1989. Just a banger out of the gate. Yes. A banger. So Absolute he's banger. up and coming. Uh, the screenplay. Now, we, we've, we've talked about this before, but just to remind everybody, there's a couple of credits on this one. There is a screenplay credit and then a story by credit. So real quick, if you get a screenplay credit, that basically means you wrote drafts or scenes that are included in the final version of the film. If you get a story by credit, that's anybody who worked on a treatment or any other story outline. So they're using your ideas in the film, but it's not the direct dialogue. So the screenplay credit goes to Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo. Now, these guys, they've worked on a, a, a it, they have an interesting career. They, they actually have a lot of video game credits mm-hmm. on top of TV and film. Uh, and one of their most recent screenplays they worked on both together was Defy Bloods in 2020. I thought this was interesting about the time that the Rocketeer had come out. They were working and I think they were developing the first, the flash TV show that ran from 1990 to 91. So they were working on that together. The story by credits, you'll also see Danny Bilson, Paul DeMeo and William Deere. We'll talk about William Deere here shortly. Uh, He was supposed to be the original director of this when they were pitching it to studios more on that shortly. And The Rocketeer is based on a comic book property by Dave Stevens. Um, the, the Rocketeer first appeared in Star Slayer number two by Pacific Comics. Now, <laughs> we, we've caught some slack because we said, hey, June's over. We're not talking about comic book movies. And we even, I think that month, we're talking about like top comic book property films of all time. And I didn't put Rocketeer in that category and I want to explain myself and, and you guys can, you know, agree with me or not. The original Rocketeer source material um, by Dave Stevens is great. However, I think as much as this film lends to the property of the Rocketeer, it also is borrowing heavily. And Dave Stevens was influenced by this source material too to create the Rocketeer by the Republic picture serials from like the 40s and 50s. And specifically, and I don't know if you guys have seen these, but King of the Rocketmen was a U.S. serial from 1949 in Republic Pictures. And then there were a couple of other ones with a character, Commando Cody, and he was in Radar Men from the Moon and Commando Cody Sky Marshal. So those were like 1952, 1953. Have you seen any of these original series, specifically like King of the Rocketmen? I've seen King of the Rocketmen. It's been a while. Um, And you sent me that link as well. Um, Yeah, I... I see a lot more in that than other source material for sure. I think that was 42, uh, 49 King oh, 49. Yeah. And, and just for anybody who 
isn't uh, familiar with like a serial. So if, if you're thinking about going to the movie theaters back in this time period, it was kind of an event, right? Cause keep in mind, television isn't, you know, streaming platforms and you get to, you know, push a button and see everything you want. And so when you went to go see a film, you usually get a cartoon, you get a newsreel, even within the Rocketeer, you get to see like an example of what a newsreel would be. And then and, Tom, Tom Cruise comes out. Thanks you for coming to the theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so prior, prior to movies set back in probably like the forties and fifties, you really got 30 minutes of content before the film. And it could either be newsreel cartoons, these serials. And so King of the Rocket Man, it would run once a week. So you would go back to the theater the next week and see the next chapter. They're about 10 or 15 minutes long. You can see all of these free on YouTube. Uh, and what's interesting is today you still get 30 minutes of content before films, but it's all commercials, right? Or Maria Menudo giving you trivia Menudo's, or something. Yep, yep. Menudo's, yeah. So d- totally different experience, but you got to keep in mind too. I mean, I, I don't think going to the movies today was the experience that it was back then or the event and as much as they were trying to cram into like your, your ticket price. But that's kind of why I don't, I, I mean, it is based on a comic book property, but I've always felt that the Rocketeer has more in common with the King of the Rocket Men than it does even its its original comic book source material. I mean, it's pulling from both, but I, yeah, it's a comic book film, but I, I really think this is just a love letter to those Republic serials more than anything. Uh, cinematography, Hiro Narita. Now, in 1991, Hiro was busy. He did a TV movie called Plymouth, the Inland Sea documentary. I thought this was interesting. I, and I think this came out the same summer too. Star Trek six, the undiscovered country came out in 91. He was the cinematographer on that. Obviously the rocketeer and then a film. I'm, I just want to get your guys's uh, stance on this one. So he, he's done a film from 1993, a little, little movie that's getting a sequel. I think this year called Hocus Pocus. What, what are your <laughs> thoughts on Hocus Pocus? Love it. I don't care what Brad says. It is uh, Hocus Pocus. I know you hate it, Troy. Um, oh, I hate, I, I hate, I Hocus remember Pocus. vividly going to the theater to see Hocus Pocus, like vividly. And I, it was, I actually remember being like legitimately kind of scared at the opening when they're like, you know, singing to the kids and like, and everything like that. I thought that the movie setup was really good. Uh, needless to say, we can go to Hocus Pocus another day, but I really enjoy it. I am super pissed that the sequel, which first of all, shouldn't exist, um, is getting released Disney direct to Disney plus. Like, again, it's just like, you know, I want Tom Cruise thanking me <laughs> and I want, I want to go, I want to go to the theater and I want Tom Cruise to thank me for going to the theater or bet Midler or whatever, you know, I don't care, but like put these goddamn things in the theater, please. Okay. Uh, Brad, your, your thoughts on Hocus Pocus trash. Thank you. All right. You so we're, we win. Hocus Pocus is a terrible film. Uh, every single Every single human being that's intelligent disagrees. Terrible. So. Terrible film. So much fun. Terrible. Doug Jones. Terrible. Everything about Hocus Pocus. Terrible. So let's just, we'll move on. Uh, edited by Michael A. Stevenson and Arthur Schmidt. Here, here's something interesting. So the music, which I think is one of the highlights of the film in terms of uh, things to just love about it. The music is by James Horner. Now, James has 165 mm-hmm. composer credits. A couple of the bangers <laughs> that he's put out there is like Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Now, he's he's shown up on the show before for Brainstorm Braveheart. in 1983. Uh, Commando, 85. He did he, Commando. He wow. did. Yeah. And I thought this he's was also interesting. Done, he's also done the best-selling uh, 
orchestra film soundtrack of all time. Is that Titanic? Titanic. Yes. And he won yep, two yep. Academy Awards for that for best original did, song and best did original he not dramatic do Gladiator score. as well. I think, I think he's, he's all over the place. He's I mean, yeah, he's just got absolutely just, I mean, like he's not John Williams, but like after John Williams, like corners there, like as far as in the running. Yeah, not, for like, and he's not Zimmer. So yeah, he's, I think he's better than Zimmer, but that's just me. I, th- I think his music, what what is great about Horner is his soundtracks sound different for each film. I mean, the fact that he does Commando, then goes to Titanic or even Brainstorm or this film, all of them sound very unique. I mean, James Horner is just a great composer. Uh, and we'll talk about what the music does in this film. But if you look at his filmography, I'm just really kind of shocked he's only won two Oscars. And those two Oscars are, are for the same film. I, I really would have thought he would have got more. Um, Lothar makeup created by Rick Baker. Now we've talked about Rick Baker before because he also worked with Joe, uh, on the Wolfman in 2010, but I thought this was interesting. So do you know what Lothar is based off of or what Rick Baker kind of borrowed for it? Rondo Hatton, Stevens. right? That's right. Yep. So there was an American actor, Rondo Hatton. He was a, uh, actor from 1927 <laughs> to 1946. And the by way, your face bunch, just waffled. Yeah, by a bunch of bees, and then what happened? Yeah, mm-hmm. so I think people will know his look from um, the House of Horrors and the Brute Man, both released in '46 in his later part of his career, because he was known as the Creeper. And then the other thing is that um, the, there's a Rondo Hatton Award, so it's called the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. It was founded in 2002. And the idea of it is to kind of honor sort of the classics of, of horror films and horror filmmaking. But uh, yeah, that, that actual makeup effect and prosthetics and et cetera is, is just a callback or a reference to the creeper and specifically Rondo Hatton. So if you go and just Google Rondo Hatton, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. I think Ronald Taylor was asked if he played basketball a lot, Troy or Charlie. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if his parents were tall. <laughs> Do you want to have how, what his shoe size was? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, how tall are your? Do you have any sis, brothers and sisters? Yeah. Uh, yeah. When we talk about Lothar, we'll we'll get you expertise on this, Charlie. <laughs> God, I hate you both. <laughs> I hate you so much right now. Um, let's talk about the people in front of the camera, starting with Billy Campbell as Cliff Secord. So, okay, are we gonna justice go, for Billy Campbell? Let's I'm go, sorry. let's go ahead and have this conversation right now. Okay. Should have been a way bigger actor than he was. Should have been I way bigger. Agree, in, in but like he's a, been like working an, like crazy. I know, but the Rocketeer is like his biggest thing. In an alternate universe, if the MCU starts ten years earlier, he's Captain America. Uh, yeah, he could have been a Superman. He could. Yeah, have. I, yeah, I can he see him more as a Superman. Been a recast, or like if they like you know when was the last Christopher Reeve Superman? It's like what? oh, was the Quest for Peace. Yeah, what was the year was that? Like oh, 80 what? It had to be in the 80s, so. 87 or something. But like if you wanted to recast him, like he would have been f- great. Like he could have been everything of like that same kind of like a career like the easygoing charisma. He was a a evolutionary Christopher Reeve in my mind in a lot of ways. And I I just think the same thing. Like this movie it really nukes his career unfortunately, and I don't know why. I don't get it. I just don't get. There's so many things about this that I don't get. I don't know if it was this movie. If you if he made a run at films in the early nineties because he did the Rocketeer, followed that up with a part in Bram Stoker's Dracula as Quincy P. Morris. That was ninety two. 
the night we never met in 93, Gettysburg in 93. I, I just don't think he got a role outside of the Rocketeer yep. that really showed him off. And so he went into um, just as, as a regular actor within TV. And, and he's, I mean, he's got a lot of credits and he's still working today in television. So he's no, had a lot of I, success over there. I respect his career. I just think he if you Googled all American boy, like Billy Campbell should come up and he should get every role. That's like the guy next door or what? I mean, he's, he also would have been excellent for like a, a trillion different like of those villain roles where he's like the like like he could have done like I don't know like kind of stepfathery kind of thing where like he seems all nice and clean cut and then ends up being like actually like a you know serial killer or something. Hey, like put that. him in all the romantic comedies from the nineties and two thousands. I mean, he would have been great at that. Yeah, I agree does. with everything. It's just for whatever reason, he doesn't land in in sort of the film world. But he he makes he makes good in TV land, just just not on the big screen. He was in what I've walked out on. I think five movies in my lifetime. Uh, he was in a movie called Enough with um, Oh Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez. I walked oh, out of that. You yeah. bought a ticket to that? <laughs> I did. You bought a ticket. You bought the, the one, one guy I was, yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> to the to the self defense training class that was enough. Yeah, he was he was the boyfriend in that. The, yeah, oh I didn't even make Lord. it out of that. So you went to that. I. Man, well, let's let's continue this conversation and talk about Jennifer Connelly as Jenny Blake, Oscar winner for best actress and supporting role for Beautiful Mind, started her um, probably her film career in 1984 for Once Upon a Time in America, followed that up with working with Dario Argento in Phenomena 1985. I think a lot of people know her from Labyrinth in 86. Um, and it's funny waiting, keep going in 1991. She had two films come out. So the rocketeer and career opportunities, the, uh, the, the movie that was a target commercial, um, obviously Requiem for a dream. I think a lot of people know that just in terms of talk about one of the most bravest performances out there. Uh, Higher learning. Oh, she's, you, she's been seven. You got blood diamond. I just watched that this week um, with Leonardo DiCaprio. I, and Hey, this year she's sitting on top of the world as Penny Benjamin in Tom Cruise's uh, magnum opus <laughs> top gun Maverick. Yeah. I mean, if you fly a plane, Jennifer Collins coming after you. Yeah. I, I just, what, what do you think about her in terms of her as an actress and her filmography as a, an adult male that grew up in the nineties, I must, uh, give credence to a film that you neglected to include. Um, that would be the hot spot starring yeah. Jennifer Connelly and Virginia Madsen and Don Johnson. Um, yeah, that's uh, 1990 and it changed. Uh, I think it changed the world. I think, <laughs> okay. um, the hot spot. It's a, it's a seminal movie for many young American men. Um, and then that grew up in the nineties and Jennifer Connelly is, uh, a significant part of that. Um, and I just wanted to give the hot spot it's due. Uh, it's, it's, it's very important to my life, to many other Brad. I know it's important mm-hmm. to your life as well. Um, HBO made a lot of money off of the hot spot. <laughs> I am. Um, look. I am so excited. I now know the movie that you and Brad spent many evenings to <laughs> alone at night. 
However, oh, this is at like <laughs> 10, <laughs> 10 a.m. This, yeah. ain't, this ain't even making it to nighttime. As an actress, when you look at her filmography, what what, what do you think about her? So here, here's the thing. I feel like um, Jennifer Conley has a very diverse filmography. If you look at the roles that she takes, she takes stuff that's all over the place. Now, there is a period, and I don't know if it's because of um, A Beautiful Mind, et cetera, where I think she was kind of going to high caliber stuff that um, like if you go back and look at her filmography and look at the stuff that kind of got Oscar nominated within a certain time period, you see her name kind of pop up a few times. But what's amazing to me is just the choices that she's making. And she really looks like an actress that from a distance, when you look at her filmography, she is going for stuff that interests her from a role perspective. I think she's one of the best American actresses we have working out there. But um, that that's just my take on her. I mean, outside of being one of the most beautiful women in Hollywood, I, I mean, I stand by that comment. I think she's one of the most talented ones. So Brad- I agree. I agree. I think her filmography is is actually when I looked through it the other day, I was surprised at just all the different stuff she was in. Yeah, big budget stuff. Even like you know, and then obviously there's Requiem for a Dream, weird stuff. Films like. Blood Diamond, like you said, and then like nine where she's doing voice stuff. Um, I think if you want to class up a movie, Jennifer Connelly does that easily. Um, And yeah, man, I mean, she's I can't think of a movie where I say, you know what? I think Jennifer Connelly kind of phoned it in. I I don't know if I've ever said that about her. I I agree Um, with that. I guess I guess we would also be remiss if we didn't mention. I think she's the main character or one of the main characters in that Snowpiercer TV show, which no one watches, but that's weird that she's in that. That I saw that and I didn't realize that, but I was like, that what? Huh? Like I didn't I know no one that's ever well, seen that yeah, show. That's that in like those Amazon TV shows where you're just like, How why is this have 17 seasons? Who's watching this? And like, oh no, it's one of the best shows ever. Yeah, I mean, e- even something now I I really like Ang Lee's Hulk from 2003, but I thought she was fantastic in that. And it's, again, it is amazing to me, all the stuff that she decides to pick. I really think she has a genuine interest in that part or that character she picks because well, she's- Well, even if you take that year, so 2003, was it House of Sand and Fog? Like she does like a completely different film yeah. in that year as opposed to Hulk. So even, even then you're getting like two different Jennifer Connellys in that year. And the only movie, like Brad, like you were saying, you have walked out on like five movies. One movie that I did walk out on um, was uh, starring Jennifer Connelly, Dark Water, in 2005. Um, it was during the J-horror adaptation uh, peak. Uh, I, I forget the actual adaptation it's coming from. I'm not it's sure. Dark it's Dark Water. Called. It was a film. It was literally Dark Water. Yeah, it was called Dark um, Water. Yep. So that movie is god-awful and boring as sin. Um, and she's unfortunately in that, but she's also like trying, like she, she's trying. Um, I, I don't think it's but, a great film, but I actually think she's the highlight of that film. Oh, yeah, by far. Yeah. yeah. But like that movie is very bad and she's still trying and giving her best effort. And I think you guys are right. Like she really picks interesting, weird, or just, I can't just walk out of any film stuff. that Tim Roth is in. It's, it's not, I can't do it. I'm not allowed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We'll move. Just say the word. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let's move on. We've also got Alan Arkin as a PVP body. 
nominated four times for an Academy Award. He won Best Performance by an actor in a supporting role for Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And right after Rocketeer, the next year, he he does a, a pretty important film called Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross in 1992, which just fantastic. Uh, Timothy Dalton as Neville Sinclair. Now, we talked about Timothy Dalton before on our Flash Gordon episode. I think people know him from that. And obviously, um, in my opinion, one of the one of the best James Bonds. I really liked his his couple of James Bond films he did. I love him as a villain, dude. Dalton is He's so good. Badass as a villain. Absolutely. Timothy Dalton is one of the best villain actors on the planet of Earth. And it's a crime that no one has been smart enough to cast him as an actual Bond villain since then. Because he is... He's perfect. There's a reason that he is in hot fuzz chewing up every single piece of scenery and owning that movie. Absolutely. There's a reason yeah. that he owns this movie. Neville Sinclair, like just swallows the whole thing. Like he just does like every time he's in it. Um, I, I can't take, I can't take my eyes off. him. it's, it's Timothy Dalton. He is perfect. And I agree. Neville, Neville yeah. Sinclair is, is an incredibly written character as well. That is so interesting with so many different um, historical analogs that make you just really compelled as to like how this, they came up with this, whose idea, what was it to bring this all together? Because I mean, like we'll get into this, I'm sure, but like the, the script for this is so simple. And so, and that's why it works in my opinion. It's so simple and so tight, even though there are all these moving pieces because you got the mob, you got the FBI, you got Howard Hughes, but the core of it, it's just a kind of like a spy thriller. And when Timothy Dalton's your spy bad guy, I mean, you're not, it's not going to be better. Yeah. And then just Mr. Prickle pants, you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and he's, so the Neville Sinclair character is supposed to be just sort of a um, a riff on Errol Flynn, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he pulls it off. But I agree with you, Charlie. I mean, if if you're looking for your perfect villain who's also going to be in a classic 40s, 30s, 40s spy film, it's Timothy Dalton all, all day long. Here's what I'll say. Um, what are your all's opinion of Treat Williams? I really like. I, I mean, yeah, I like Treat Williams. I like Treat yeah. Williams, right? So let's take Treat Williams, who is the villain of a similar film called The Phantom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Treat Williams' performance as Xander Drax begins and ends with the letter X. Um, Xander Drax is the campiest, dumbest, most paper thin, one dimensional, nothing villain. That movie's terrible for a lot of reasons. It's a lot of fun in a lot of ways, too. But Treat Williams tries. He gives everything he can. And he cannot elevate or hold that film together whatsoever. Whereas Dalton is over here with Neville Sinclair, who could, in my opinion, could have been just as campy and dumb and and one-dimensional. But I think Dalton just elevates this in so many different ways. He actually makes him a Lothario. He actually, like, Sinclair is still a hornball that's, like, still trying to get laid while he's also a Nazi. And, like, there's all these little elements that that Dalton brings that, like, you look at a, a similar movie of that ilk, like The Phantom, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing to that character <laughs> that comes even close um, to resembling what Dalton's doing here. 
I agree. Troy, what's your favorite Dalton Bond? Is it License to Kill? Uh, yeah, his first one, License to Kill. Yeah. Okay. It's it's a standout. If you were talking like top James Bond films, that that for me would be in the conversation, because I I think I loved uh, both of them, but License to Kill. I, I mean, I think it's in terms of Bond storytelling and classic Bond, it has everything, and Timothy Dalton um, should have done more, especially when you look at what came after him. I, I was really disappointed that he, you know he only did two films. Yeah. Not yeah. anything against Pierce Brosnan or anything else like that, but I just I yeah, when people talk about you, Dan, don't you besmirch Goldeneye, my I, friend. I'm not. But when people talk about like the uh, I don't know Daniel Craig as being their favorite Bond because he's closer to the Ian Fleming books or he's more rugged and he's more ruthless, etc. Timothy Dalton was all of that within his first Bond outing, so he still carried some of that Connery and Roger Moore class to it but he had a ruthlessness to it uh, that actually kind of comes out in the Neville Sinclair character quite honestly. And that's what I've always liked about Timothy Dalton. There's, there's, he just has as charming as he can be. There's just always this underlying sort of dark side to him that I, that I kind of like. Okay, Troy, one more, one more, what character actor. Oh, we got a couple of them. Okay. There's okay. like a dozen. Yeah. yeah. Terry O'Quinn as Howard Hughes um, was in the stepfather lost, right? That TV series. We also got Paul Servino as Eddie Valentine. He was in what movie, Troy? Well, the year before, he was in two big films, Goodfellas in 1990 and Dick Tracy in 1990. Tracy, Tracy. Everywhere I go, it's Tracy. That was good. (laughs) Uh, We've got Ed Lauder as FBI Agent Fitch. Now, he's another guy that um, like 209 acting credits. What's funny is while Paul Servino was in Goodfellas in 1990, I think Ed Lauder was in the other film that was about the same character called My Blue Heaven, the comedy version of Steve Martin and Rick Moranis. So Ed was in that one. A little le- less good. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've got James Handy as FBI, FBI agent Wooly Wolinsky. I love the names in this film. Was, uh, was Paul Servino born into a fedora and pinstripe suit? Hey, look, if you're looking for any kind of classic gangster, you have to have Paul. Dude, his name is Paul and he's Italian. I mean, he's, he's got it's it. Just, yes. I mean, he's born like, I Brooklyn. feel like he, yeah, he was just born with a glass of wine in his hand and a meatball. So I, like, I, I, he's incredible. Yeah. So let's talk about production and development real quick. Can, uh, can, wait, oh, can, yeah, yeah, can go, we go. sidebar for just one second? Let's sidebar. Because, uh, I, I have watched, uh, Goodfellas just recently. Oh no, here we go. So one of the guy's name, and forgive me for saying this, is Jimmy the Wop, right? So Wop is a is a is a without papers. Where is this going? (laughs) So okay, okay. So get get this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All those guys are Italians. They're all whatever derogatory term you want to be. How Italian do you have to be to be known as Jimmy the Wop? Like out of all those people, you're the one. You're you're Jimmy. You're the Wop. Answer that for me. Well, let's talk about production and development. Of the <laughs> so, so I do want to say before, before we do move on, like we, there is also like Margot Martindale is in this. Yeah. You know, John Polito as Bigelow. Like there's some, like, this is just Clint Howard's stack. in here. Just yeah. it's a for stacked a cast. It like, is. This, is this, I, this has so many character actors. You could sit there and go through the entire list. I mean, the fact that Clint Howard is in the background at some point, you've got so many memorable faces that, when you're just watching the film, you're like, oh my gosh, I've seen that guy in like a hundred films. Mm-hmm. I've seen this lady in about 105. 
it, it's got a great cast. They pull some amazing character actors for this thing. Uh, real quick, I do want to go through production. So when we talk, Brad, about like movies that bomb, and I think it was last episode, we were going through our top things of, hey, you know a movie's going to bomb when this kind of happens. There's a couple of things within the history of this thing kind of point to it. The first one is um, comic book writer and artist Dave Stevens created The Rocketeer in 82, right? And immediately viewed the character as an ideal protagonist for film adaptation as soon as he did it. Uh, Steve Miner purchased the film rights from Stevens in 1983. So this is one of those things where you're kind of knocking on almost a decade in production, which is sort of a troubling sign. But what happened was Steve Miner, he stayed too far from the original concept and the rights reverted back to Stevens. And in 85, Stevens gave writers Danny Bilson, Paul DeMeo, a free option on the Rocketeer. Stevens liked their ideas for the Rocketeer, and he kind of thought they were heartfelt and affectionate tribute to the 1930s movie serials with all the dialogue and atmosphere. He was really impressed with their with their script. Um, and this is kind of when William Deere comes into the picture. So he was originally attached to direct and co-write. And in fact, William Deere came up with the uh, Zeppelin climax at the end of the film. Stevens, Bilson, DeMeo, and Deere began to pitch The Rocketeer in 1986 to all the major film studios. Everybody turned him down. Keep in mind, Batman and Dick Tracy hadn't happened yet, right? Nobody was interested in The Rocketeer. Walt Disney Studios eventually bought The The Rocketeer and wanted to do the film because they believed the film had toyetic, toyetic, so that's, that's that's a term, toyetic potential and appeal for merchandising. So the only yeah, reason gonna, isn't that just a fancy word for saying merchandising. They basically, when they kind of looked at this thing, they go, Hey, we can sell a lot of toys with this thing. So we really don't care about the film. We we're going to make toys off of this, right? Mm-hmm. This is where it gets really crazy. Bilson and DeMeo then submitted their seven page film treatment to Disney, but the studio put their script through an endless series of revisions over five years. Disney fired and rehired Bilson and DeMeo three times. DeMeo explained that, quote, Disney felt that they needed a different approach to the script, which meant bringing in someone else. But those scripts were thrown out, and we were always brought back on. They found the studio's consistent tinkering with the screenplay to be frustrating process. And uh, I, I thought this was interesting. They said executives would, like, previously excise dialogue three months later, Scenes that have been thrown out two years ago were now put back in. That's how much tinkering was going on. Now, listen. Now, oh, yeah. You, I, I'm sorry. I'm sure you've done this before, but if you fire someone and then bring them back, you're not you're not hiring them back at the same rate. That rate goes up every time. Oh, it, yeah. And they did so that three that's times. That's just a way to <laughs> inflate that, that budget is to fire people, then hire them back. Because then you're, you're adding like 20% or probably 50%. Like, hey, we need you back. Yeah. So there were problems with the screenplay. They also had problems with casting because they were going after a bunch of different players before they settled on our main leads. Listen to this. So Cliff Secord, these are the people that Disney and everybody else wanted. They wanted Kevin Costner, (laughs) Matthew Modine, Mm -hmm. Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, Bill Paxton was in the running. That'd be terrible. Emilio Estevez, and Disney's favorite choice, the one they wanted, was Mr. Johnny Depp himself for the role of Cliff Secord. Now, Joe Johnston was the one who convinced Disney to hire Billy Campbell. That was Joe's pick, right? 
Now, let's talk about Jenny Blake. Here are the people that um, were going after this before it landed in Jennifer Connelly's lap. Cheryl Lynn Finn, Kelly Preston, Diane Lane, and Elizabeth McGovern. And I thought this was interesting. The Eddie Valentine, right, part, it was written specifically for Joe Pesci, but he turned down the part so Paul Servino got it. Because <laughs> he couldn't say fuck that every other <laughs> word. <laughs> there you go. That is crazy. So th- this kind of has a lot of those elements we talked about last episode in terms of a trouble production, couldn't get some things right. They didn't hit 10 years in trying to get this from you know page to screen. Um, but they ran into a lot of studio interference, and obviously Disney tinkering can always mess and, things up. And you up. mentioned it. The, the original budget for this film was 25. The ending production was somewhere, I think, between 35 and, and 40. I usually always take the highest because yeah. – you know, they're going to report 40. It's it's 40. So. And, and the reason why it went up is because when they were looking at the dailies, they came back and they said, wow, this is actually a pretty good film. Let's go ahead and put some more money into this. More money into it, yep. So they thought that they had a, a big hit on their hands. Uh, and, and they even did a good job of kind of getting the marketing out there by sort of getting Rocketeer, you know, um, how do you say it, like paired with, you know, Burger King or toys and all this other stuff um, when it was being released. So everybody knew about the Rocketeer coming out to it. I think this is a case where Disney, you know, you can't fault Disney for not putting some money behind getting this film out there. And I do remember seeing trailers for this all over the place. Um, I, I actually stole one of the trailers, the 35 millimeter trailers from the, the uh, movie theater and took it home with me. I still have it. Um, the statute of limitation is over. So it's over. I'm good. They, they can't arrest me for it. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, this is a case where the people just didn't show up for it. Although I did read, I think it made about $23 million on uh, VHS and Laserdisc um, release. So it it did pretty good on home home media. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious to, to hear your guys' thoughts on your 100th rewatch of this film. I'm going to start with you, Charlie. So you got to revisit The Rocketeer. I think you watched it today, right? Yes, yes. I rewatched it this morning. Um just because I wanted it to be as fresh as possible. Okay. Um, and again, you know, I wanted to make sure that my mind was searched over from hell to breakfast to <laughs> make sure that I had everything, all the I's dotted and T's crossed. Um, yeah, let's hear your thoughts Brad, on it. Brad said it best earlier. This is like a warm blanket. Um, it is. It's just freaking fun. It is effortlessly enjoyable. I feel like that is my two-word review, if you had to tell me. Effortlessly enjoyable. It is well-paced. It's under two hours. It does not overextend. There are no crazy subplots that are going on. Um, things happen. and car- you know, One thing I was talking about with somebody just the other day is how annoying... Like I just saw the new Thor love and thunder and like they take the opportunity to like kill a few characters and then they immediately bring them back to life. And I was like, Oh man, God, that's annoying. And then this movie is like, okay, people die. Like I was like, characters were dying. Like uh, Bigelow is like dead in like the first like 25 minutes or something. Like you kind of feel like, you know, initially he's someone that, and I even, I've seen this a thousand times and even I forget how quickly he gets killed. Like, because I, I remember him so vividly because of his performance and because of like, you know, it's all part of the show and like everything <laughs> going on. That yeah. entire scene is just emblazoned in my mind so much that his character is larger than life to me, but he's gone right out the gate. 
And there are stakes. They're clear. Um, a lot of it, you know, it, it takes its liberties with being a comic book movie. But for the most part, it is simple. It's to the point. It's got a lot of balls. It's juggling. But I, I feel like it sticks to landing. It really does. There's no extra fat in this movie. The, the, the characters matter. The people do things that are important to the actual story and everything is moving all towards one direction. Um, it, it's just, it's an extremely economical movie that is well, well directed in my opinion. I think it is um, the action scenes are very clear. Like you understand the geography of the, of the sequences. You understand what the, uh, everyone's trying to do. Um, there's only one or two moments where I feel like you're like, Okay, like you kind of give maybe an eye roll for an action scene, um, like how you know the our, our lead characters get saved at the end by the gyrocopter um, out of nowhere, the the Deus Ex gyrocopter. But um, otherwise, like it is just effortlessly enjoyable. It is a throwback to what we remember or what we have been sold. The movies are. Like what Tom Cruise tells us when we go to the theater and to expect to the, just, just like go to this time and place for to have an adventure. And like, that's just what this is. It's just, it, it, now, is it historically accurate? God, no. Um, this thing takes place in 1938 and Paul Servino looks at, you know, a Nazi like he's like, I know, I know two bit Nazi. And I'm like, buddy, there's going to be about 20,000 Americans in Madison Square Garden in six months that are going to be full on Nazis ready to rock and roll. America's fully Nazified plenty of places. Um, but it does take its historical liberties and such, but it doesn't do it in a way that I feel like is aggressively in your face and there's clear villains. Um, they're easy to root against. There's clear heroes. They do the good deeds and stuff like that. And there's simple, there's a simplicity and it's just, it's just fun. It's what like I grew up wanting movies to be. I feel like that's what, that's my summation. Like movies, like just, you go and you have fun. You have an enjoyable time. Like this is the perfect, like drive-in movie kind of thing. Like this thing, it, it, it just has all the elements you want. It takes you to some place that's, that's new and different. That's a old, like, you know, that, that, that that's a specific time and place and everything feels real. Everything's real. The real, the cars are real. The sets are real. The, uh, you know, there, there's a few, you know, I guess, you would say like CG or like, I don't even know what you'd call them for 1991, but you know, just special effects shots that can, can be a bit wonky, but otherwise it just, it, it looks good. It feels perfectly made to be what it is and it feels earnest. And I just, I just love it. That's all. Okay. Sorry. What about you, Brad? How, how was your reaction for the next one? Like, your, like your next viewing? So, it's weird because my son's not really old enough to, to go down the Indiana Jones Avenue just yet, yeah. but this is like baby's first Indiana baby's Jones. First Indiana Jones. <laughs> it's exactly what this is. And it, it, you know, you've got the Nazis, you got third act Nazis, which, you know, if you, if you start this movie, you're like, Hey, guess what? At the end of this movie, there's going to be a Zeppelin and Nazis. You're like, Oh wow. This thing goes places. Um, but like Charlie was saying, you kind of buy that it gets to that point and you're totally okay with third act Nazis. You're, you're on top of a Zeppelin. You're like, yeah, this makes total sense. Um, 
I think the best part of this movie is its simplicity is the characters involved in this movie. Everyone is killing it. Billy is like, you, you buy everything this guy does and you buy his relationship. And it's, it's like one of those things where you just can't take your eyes off this guy. And he is a movie star in this movie. And it, it, Again, I go back to, I don't know why he's not a bigger actor, but he's on screen and he's got that Tom Cruise, big dick energy going on. Um, do, you, do you think, and, and this is a question for both of you. So it's interesting because I agree. The performances by everybody in this film are fantastic. Billy in particular is so good. And if we had a studio that looked at him and said, Hey, we really like this. So think about like how Canon films would do, you know, Shokasugi films and, Oh, we're going to line up two or three films or something of that nature, or even, you know, the, the Hollywood system of the thirties, forties, fifties. If somebody had gotten behind Billy and said, wow, start with the rocketeer. And then we've got two or three other pictures lined up. Could he have been a bigger thing if they had lined up the right properties for him? Absolutely. Yes. I a hundred percent don't think there's anything that indicates in this film that he is not a like someone you don't want to see in front of a camera and he's not like he's a great actor there are scenes in this film that he is selling now i don't know like what his full range is but you watch him in here and you're like this guy's good i want like he's charismatic he's everything i want a hollywood star to be what about you charlie you feel the same way so I just, again, I kind of come back to like, I don't, I don't get, it. I don't get what exactly went wrong with both this movie and Billy Campbell, because like Brad said, he's charismatic. He's easygoing. He seems like, I, I, I want to say that the word approachable, but I don't even know if that's the right word, but like, he just seems like someone that like is, is got, he is very, very close to being a movie star. Like that's what I, I watch this movie. I'm like, okay, he's not there yet, but he feels like he's really close. Like he could be there um, with his next movie or two. Like if he got the right thing um, and he could have done whether, whether it be like a rom-com or something like that. But like, if he just got like the slightest bit more confidence or whatever, or something like that with one or two movies, just like you said, I think he could have been one of the biggest things in America. Like, I just don't, I don't see what people didn't see at the time, because to me, he jumps off the screen. He hangs in there with Timothy Dalton um, as Dalton is just, you know, work in the bag, just like absolutely going to town with this character. And you've got the scene stealing villain and the, you know, earnest heartthrob, but they, but it works and they have very good, chemistry as foils when they finally do start to face off. And I, I, I just think that he's, he's funny when he needs to be, but he doesn't try to be funny. He's not like trying really hard. Like the line when he's like, you know, uh, is this your first time waiting? And he's like, uh, no, yeah, I waited on you last time. Like, it's just <laughs> like, it's not that funny, but it's funny enough. Like it's, it's just like, oh, man, that's a, that's a smart, like, he pulls it off very well. And again, like, I think we just keep going back to like, this feels like an effortless, 
movie in a lot of ways. And he's got great chemistry with Arkin too. I mean, they work so well together Mm -hmm. and I don't really know what, like one thing we do have to touch on. I don't understand their relationship. They live together. Are they related? What's going on there? I don't know. Is it just like his, I think it's just a mentor thing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Do you live with your mentors very often? I don't. I mean, I know it was the great depression. I know that, but like, you know, so maybe that's just, that's the answer. Um, But it just like, uh, I was watching it and I was like, huh? Yeah. They live together. I forgot about that. Um, (laughs) And um, I I feel like Billy Campbell is the personality and the charm that Chris Pratt wants. So, Oh shit! You're right. I, I, I oh, just, by the way, Charlie, the the Great Depression was over way before 1938. <laughs> yeah, I know that's you're not. No, uh, that 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 is not remotely correct. It is. It is. It is still very much in full swing. Don't worry. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah, I, I I just think Billy Campbell. When when I when I think about hey, if you had given him whoever Chris Pratt's manager is right now, like go back in a time machine and manage Billy Campbell's career. I think we would have gotten a better version of Chris Pratt. Meaning when I think about like the, the new Jurassic park films, I would have loved to see Billy Campbell, like this age, Billy Campbell, put his hand up, put his hand up to dinosaurs in that role <laughs> Stick, versus Chris Pratt. I don't know if he can pull off star Lord. I think Chris Pratt does an amazing job with star Lord and, and I'm, I'm not bashing Chris Pratt. It's just Billy Campbell reminds me of Chris Pratt, but I feel like Chris Pratt is, trying to be charming he's trying to be funny he's trying to be that action star and he looks like he's trying a lot whereas yeah. billy campbell it's just part of his dna it's very natural on screen and i agree billy campbell's a movie star chris bratt is somebody who's trying to be a movie star in that regard and and if you if you were to say hey uh, billy campbell's like the a version chris pratt might be the a minus maybe b plus side of it um, in, in maybe the same content. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but back to the performances, just think about this. You're Paul Sorvino. You're walking off the set of a Martin Scorsese film, arguably one of the greatest movies ever made. And then you're coming on to do a Joe Johnson film about a guy who wears a rocket on the back of him. And you're giving the same level of performance. It's, it's crazy to me that everyone is going for it in this movie. Um, yeah, the the performances are standout. I and I I think it comes down to there's real chemistry between all of these characters. There's chemistry between Campbell and Arkin. Um, to Charlie's point, I mean, we don't know exactly why they're living together. If if it's related to like the economic times, but you really get this father son or mentor kind of student relationship, and it works. Um, Campbell and Connolly are a great couple. There's real romantic chemistry when they look at each other. You just buy that relationship. I love the contempt between Servino and Dalton. I think that's real. And when Servino kind of turns on Dalton in the end, it's like, well, I don't support Nazis. You believe it because there's all this animosity that was building up to that. Right. But I, I think everybody's so good that even when they have to deliver sort of that, that thirties or forties vernacular, it, it fits like it doesn't seem out of place. B- Billy Campbell has this line where he, he says, um, oh, that guy's like a lousy nickel nurser. And I remember when I heard that line, I'm like, what is that? I mean, it just the, the words didn't make sense. It kind of goes back to some of my my mom's sayings. But at the same time, when he says it, I believe it. Like It I, feels authentic. Yeah, there's so much authenticity within the line delivery that it doesn't sound corny. 
It doesn't sound like he was practicing that over and over again and he had to deliver the line. I feel like Billy Campbell uses that that phrase like almost daily because it came out so naturally. That's how good so, those performances are. I do have to say Brad has a really good point though because if you are Paul Servino and you come off of Goodfellas and you're like, you know, I, I would say he's the like, I mean, he's the boss. Like, you know, he's like, you know, he's he's extremely threatening and and you know, someone who orders murders and violence and things. And then he's I mean, got you Timoth- can see him cutting garlic really, really thin in this. Yeah. Movie. And then and then Timothy Dalton holds a sword to his throat in this and nothing happens. And that is the, like one of the only scenes in this. And I'm like, ah, I feel like Paul Sorvino would kill him. <laughs> like, ah, that's just one. Of, that's just the only moment. I'm like, ah, yeah, he'd be dead. Like, <laughs> OK, like, so I, I, I don't want to bring the room down. But I do want to mention one thing that I still think is the Achilles heel of this film. And it's the flying special effects. Now, I know this is 1991, but anytime the Rocketeer is in the sky, you can tell it's a guy standing in front of a green screen flying. And it's the only thing of this movie that does not age well. The rest or of he's, it, I was going to say, or he's just falling off of something. Yeah, yeah. But everything else in this movie ages so well. That sticks out to me like a sore thumb. There's um, a couple a of there's a couple of sequences though, um, especially when Cliff is trying to save his buddy uh, in the biplane sequence, and he ends up slamming into the plane, rolling off the of clown? it. The clown, Troy. The, yeah, the clown. Um, <laughs> I forgot about it. yeah. How'd you enjoy that scene there, Troy? I, you know, if flying the, clowns. If the clown crashed, I wouldn't have shed a tear. But you are know you what? gonna imagine, Are you gonna go to bed tonight with flying clown nightmares? I was fine. I was fine. I, I want them to remake the Nazi propaganda film they have for they showed Howard Hughes' office, but with flying clowns. I don't want that packs. at all. That is a nightmare. That is a literal nightmare right there. If any, there are any listeners out there that want to no. do a little doctor up of a don't, flying clowns and jetpacks attacking America, please send us specifically don't, don't. Nazi propaganda films. Yeah, please do not send us Nazi propaganda <laughs> films with with clowns we no we don't condone that but that sequence has a couple of good practical stunt effects of them kind of on the biplane falling off the biplane where it's not green screen i agree some of them look a little wonky at this point in time it's a 30 year old movie it almost adds the charm of it a little bit uh but it it never takes me out of it um i I think it works especially in the context of when the film was made and and it could it could be the look in the design of the rocketeer that Dude, it just looks so badass that I'm cool with it. Yeah, no, the the Rocketeer as a design, as a as a character, and I think the thing that hits me now after seeing, I don't know, like eighty seven thousand origin stories, is like this is the perfect origin story. Like I don't care That's a about point. Yeah. Billy's parents. Like I, I don't care. <laughs> like I don't care about you Martha don't need any pearls like slowly that. dropping. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't care that his mother's name is Martha or anything like that. Like, look. He finds a rocket. He wants to use it because it's badass because he wants to impress a girl. Turns out there's a lot of stuff going on with that thing. People want it and third act Nazis. So look, well, he, he wants to give it back, but then there's always an, an event or scenario that forces him to keep it. Yeah, but he wants. Oh, in the he beginning, wants- he he's definitely wants to use it and borrow it. But there is a sequence when they understand what's at stake and they're hiding in the attic of the diner. Uh, and all of a sudden they're like, yep, we're going to call the FBI and give this thing back. We don't need it. But he keeps it because Jenny's now in danger. I, I like that aspect of the screenplay where 
there is a realization where they're in over their heads, but then they're forced to keep going with it. So there's two things I I want to comment on after that. One, I think you're both right with regards to the uh, effects of the the flying effects and everything going on. I think that they don't look terrible, especially some of the night sequences, just because obviously it's dark and it's easy to pretend it's easy to hide. But like the entire sequence in the, what is it? The South seas club um, is just laughable when he's just kind of floating around like, it, like just like, so that, I mean, they come, it, it, it makes it's, I think it's ultimately what the problem is with this, you know, as a superhero thing, it's like, what is the rocketeer? He's just someone that can fly. And so you have to put him in situations that make, that make flying the premier thing for him to do and, and, and help and save people, which is obviously why they end up having the third act Zeppelin. Um, but so like within the South Seas club and he's just, you know, floating around and it's like, and then he eventually looks up and he's like, Oh glass, I can get out. And it's just like, um, th- there's a few sequence like moments in there where it's just like, yeah, you guys definitely just didn't know what to do with guy with rocket. Pack I, I, or, I don't think that's the case at all. I think they knew exactly really? what they were doing. Um, yeah. and because it's as much as this is, and again, you could go back to Steven's source material of the Rocketeer comic, which is just heavily influenced by, you know, King of the Rocket Man, Commando Cody. Th- this is this is a a love letter to the Republic serials. And that sequence is exactly what you would see in King of the Rocket Men or something of that nature. So I, I I love the fact that your hero, per se, is not a superhero. It's, you know, uh, a stunt pilot or a racing pilot who ends up getting this technology. Uh, one, one of our, <laughs> one, one of, um, I think our listeners on the social media had said um, they love the Rocketeer because it was the poor man's Tony Stark. And I, I thought that was a pretty interesting comparison because I think what makes Tony Stark, uh, blue collar, Tony Stark. Yeah. Blue collar, Tony Stark. Yeah. But why people like that is it's like, Oh, it's an ordinary guy who is behind this technology. And, uh, it's, it's an everyman except for the Tony Stark and the Bruce Wayne's like they're the rich guys, right? This is your blue collar. Every guy who finds the rocket pack, who ends up, he doesn't know what he's doing half of the time they, with it. They even have that with Howard Hughes. So they yeah. integrate that in a way that works. I feel like, so you're right. Like we went, I mean, you and I, you know, a decade ago, we talked about captain America, but there is so much of the iron man element to this that I feel like almost would be so much more interesting if there was a way to have, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I really desperately wish this thing had like, like, I think this could have had sequels that would have been so cool, especially because it's timed in 1938. So it's pre us involvement in world war two. So it's like, it was so geez, we get it. You're a history teacher. Good. Oh, give me a break. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it's actually, uh, it's actually based off of the Himmelstürmer flight pack, which was the uh, <laughs> oh, original Jesus. Nazi design uh, for the, I mean, that is what it was. It was based off the, the whole thing's based off of the, 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 the concept. I mean, for God's sakes, we have, you know, the whole thing's based off of the Oslo report, which was uh, originally a German, German report that was uh, snuck out to, um, 
to the allies uh, that basically said like, oh, hey, the Germans are focusing on rockets. They really want to do long range missile targeting, which, of course, they succeed in that. Um, and then they really wanted to do the the flight packs. Uh, that wasn't a successful operation, but also because they were losing the war. But by the time they actually got things off the ground um, and ultimately, I mean, for God's sakes, we have a Hindenburg. We have a fake Hindenburg in this that is a year after the actual the, the, Hindenburg. The fin- we have the Findenburg. The, the Findenburg. <laughs> the Findenburg. I mean, this is the the funny thing about that is really like this all takes place in 1938. And the Hindenburg is 1937. So who was still making Zeppelins at this point, guys? <laughs> like, Again, I, mean, I, I think that. Dave Stevens. So if you go back and look at the history of the comic, there's not a lot of Dave Stevens rocketeer comic issues because he did so much research on that time period, bringing it all together. Uh, And, and, you know, the movie does vary. I I would say the comics are a little bit more mature um, because even the uh, Jenny Blake character uh, in in the comic book, um, she's more of the Betty Page type where she's posing for new photos in the comic. So okay. it's it's a little bit more mature, but that was the thing about Stevens is, I mean, he loved this property, but he did so much research in trying to kind of get the authenticity of the time around what he was putting together that it took him forever to get issues out there. That's why a lot of the Rocketeer stuff that exists today in comic book form, um, it, it kind of exists after S- Stevens cause he passed away. Um, I, I want to say in 2008 or something of that nature. Uh, but I mean, the original Rocketeer run is really good, but there's not a lot of issues specifically from Stevens because it took him forever to get these things out because to your point, Charlie, you can go through this film and you can even go through um, the, the Rocketeer comic series. And there is so much he borrowed from history that I, I feel like the property is way more accurate than what people might give it credit for. And it should, it's fun. It makes yeah. it more enjoyable. Like if they had done a sequel, I mean, could you not imagine him like the Rocketeer, like in the Pacific, like uh, if like yeah. the Rocketeer at Midway or something like that? Like, I mean, that's the kind of thing I, I feel like they might have uh, done with the kind of sequel. Yeah, th- this movie is sort of a, a compilation of the first two Rocketeer stories of him getting the jetpack and then also kind of Cliff going to New York City. Um, Cause that's where the Lothar character kind of comes up. Cause Lothar and Cliff Seacord in the comics worked at a carnival together. Uh, they toured, but you could definitely see where if there were sequels and things going on, it could be, you know, Cliff Secord in New York City with the rocket pack. I mean, stuff like that. There, there's so much potential here, uh, but, you know, nothing happened. I, I do like the fact that as a film, because spoiler alert, the rocket does end up being destroyed in, in sort of an amazing coincidence with bubblegum, which I think is one of the highlights of the screenplay. It It works as just a great standalone film. But I also like where they set it up by, you know, Jenny handing PV like, hey, here's your schematic. So if you want to build it again, you can, which is fantastic. But I, I, what I like about this is I guess it's kind of refreshing that for a comic book film, even though I, I still classify this as sort of a love letter to the to the serials as a comic book film, it works as a standalone film. I mean, it's it's way different than the MCU, MCU stuff you get today, whereas everything has to have an interconnecting thread to it. So I, 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 something just triggered in my head about like we were talking about earlier about Jenny like or Jennifer Connelly, mm-hmm. um, and she just was in you know Top Gun Maverick. This has elements of it that should be that should have played to the Top Gun Maverick crowd. 
I feel like, or not Top Gun Maverick, but Top Gun. Like, you know, this is post Top Gun, um, you know, back in the day. Is it just too sincere? Is it just too like, I don't even know what the word is like, but like, like I feel like there, this should, there's even a tinge of homoeroticism with, there was nothing. There's no volleyball scene. (laughs) There's no PV. Yeah. Oh my God. Lothar and PV playing volleyball. (laughs) Lothar would absolutely run. Absolutely. Train on them. It might be because it's a period piece, right? Okay. So you can't do, you know, jet planes and you can't do rocking soundtrack and you, yeah. That because I mean, like, there's I feel like if there was a, if there was planes more plane off on, or something, yeah. If there's just something about planes taking off, you know, battleships that is badass. Yeah. Um, well, how how many people in 1991 or even today want to go back and watch an Errol Flynn adventure film? Not a lot. The answer is none. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that's why it failed. Yeah. Um, that was going to be one of my questions: is why did this movie bomb? I well, I want to share my thoughts on 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 something. So, my whatever two hundredth viewing of this film, something just hit me Uh, is really strange, and it might be because uh, of seeing this summer's crop of blockbusters. Right, so got to see. (laughs) What are you talking about? They don't exist. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I'm I'm thinking about you know things like Top Gun Maverick, which I I mean I love. Uh, Wasn't wasn't. I don't know, just loving Thor love and thunder. I thought it was kind of a mess. It's just okay at best. No, it's fine. Uh, but what, what really sets this movie apart? Most movies I see is the tone of the film. It's so consistent and, and real quick, I, I, I tried to articulate it on paper from this perspective. So tone is entirely different than mood. So mood refers to what an audience feels as they watch a movie, right? And that can change from scene to scene. So you can have like romantic it, it, go to it scary. Should. It should. It, it mood should, should right? change through a film throughout. Yeah. I, I think tone refers to the attitude of the filmmaker about the film's subject, and it shapes the overall audience's experience of the film. So tone can change the mood of a film as it should, but tone, I think, needs to be consistent. And tone can be influenced through sound. It can be influenced through music. A great example of, of music or sound is the shepherd tone. Do you guys know what the shepherd tone is? Is it like the brown note? Well, it's, it's, an, it's an audio illusion that creates the feeling of consistent, never-ending, rising, falling. So it's it's achieved by playing overlapping notes that are one so octave apart. You, it doesn't make <laughs> so you shit your pants. Okay, no. Yeah. Gotcha. So okay. Christopher Nolan uses it a lot. So was, the biggest example is wow. like Dunkirk used it to create the anxiety and tension in Dunkirk. Oh, gotcha. Okay? Yes. You you can influence tone through color, lighting, frame rate, slow motion is an example. Performances can affect tone. Um, using contradicting film el- elements, I, I I think you would appreciate this, Brad. Like Tarantino sets the tone of a film simply by taking something like reservoir dogs where he did stuck in the middle of you while Mr. Blonde is cutting off a cop's ear. So you get this really dark suspenseful moment that has this comedic tinge to it, which has, I mean, that's a, you know, a Tarantino film because there's tone through it, right? Set design. So I, I think the tone of this film, it's one of the most consistent tones I think I've ever seen in that the filmmaker, Joe Johnston, everybody behind the camera in front of the camera 
they are perfectly mimicking an adventure film of the 40s. And it even comes down to the lighting, the sound, the music, the performances, the dialogue, everything. It fits this tone. Like the tone is consistent throughout the entire film. Nothing is out of place. There's not one performance, not not one set design, not any action piece that feels out of touch. And it really is this reverence of the source material, the comic book, but I think primarily these Republic serials. And it just feels like everybody knows what the tone of the film is supposed to be, and it delivers it. Everybody's on the same page. And I think that's unique, but I also think that's why it bombed, is because that tone is so firmly set in that 30s, 40s action film that a 1991 audience isn't really going to enjoy that. Uh, and I, I don't even think you know today's audiences may like that. I, I think... To, to hear that 66% of the people like it or 66% of the critics, I guess that kind of makes sense because I think some of those other, if you were to show them some of these adventure films from like the 30s, 40s, or 50s, they would like those too because this movie is just, it, it, it put it in black and white and it belongs in the 40s. It, it hits everything perfectly. Now, I love that and I know you guys love it and I think it's super unique in all of the movies that are out there. But I also think that's, um, I don't know. I, I find it's it too a, good at what it's trying to do. It is so good. It's a, it, so this, yeah. you know, the question I kind of said I had for you guys in the beginning, this mm -hmm. is a popcorn film. We all said it's like comfort food to warm blanket for me. And I don't know how you guys feel about this for me. I think this is a masterclass of popcorn filmmaking. It's yeah. so good. It's tone is consistent. It knows exactly what it is. Everybody working on this thing knows exactly what it is. But um, I I think it's more than a popcorn film. I think it's a really, really well-made film. And I, I don't know, if, if Taxi Driver is like a movie that you would look at and say, well, this is a master class in, you know, human, you know, psyche, uh, trying to break that down of, you know, Travis Bickle in New York City and what, what he's going through. I would say, well, on the opposite end of the spectrum, this is a master class of filmmaking of an adventure film. Like you, you would, you would show the Rocketeer in a film class and go, "This is how, this is how you do an adventure film, and yeah, this is how you like write an adventure script." Indiana Jones, uh, the Rocketeer. I, I do. I think I think Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Rocketeer sit at the same level. I I think uh, I I don't I wouldn't call this like a poor man's Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think it's at the same level of Raiders in my but, opinion. And I don't really like. It doesn't even really hold back that much on violence. That's the thing. Like it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. It is. It is a very. I was like so happy to just be reaffirmed today watching it. I'm like, man, because like you know, I watched. We watched it with our our five and a half year old, and I was like, close your eyes when Lothar shows up because like he's gonna do some nasty shit. <laughs> like he's he gonna bend people, people in half. He's Jason Voorhees. He's coming in here and breaking people in half. Well, you see a guy um, laying on the floor with his foot next to yeah. his head where it shouldn't be because you know lothar was there i mean it it's it is a violent film and it is it doesn't pull like any punches with those respects so like it and people a, smoke goddamn cigarettes people <laughs> awesome yeah smoke some cigarettes did disney plus have a, a a notification at the front of it about it cigarette not. uses i didn't i didn't see but like i i just like it is perfect in that sense but like i also I think what we talked about earlier with like the movies that were successful this same year, I feel like it still fits enough in the same vein as Prince of Thieves 
And well, let me, can I challenge you on that one? And so I'm just saying those two movies, like they're totally different movies, but like it has elements of it. It has the kind of it's swashbuckling adventure, um, like all American story uh, of, of, Prince of Thieves, something that we're used to, and it also has like that out, the western and the uh, the adventure and the newness and like the fish out of water of city slickers and some of those things. So it's like it's so funny that those two movies, you know, are kicking its ass. And but think about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and and I'd ask you guys this: if you were to sit down and watch Robin Hood and then watch this one, which one feels like a movie from 1991 versus a movie from 1940? That's fair. Robin Hood Prince of Thieves literally opens with a man getting his hand chopped off. So I think, you know, honestly, I, I don't know if this is blasphemy, but I think the Rocketeer is better than Robin Hood to be honest. No, I, I think it is easily. I do. But I think, okay. I think when you watch Robin Hood Prince of Thieves again, I think if you were to look at tone, I think the tone's a little bit all over the place on that one. Completely all over the place. But it, it has 90 sensibilities. Yeah. This one has thirties and forties yeah. sensibilities. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think it was going to connect to that 91 audience. I think that's why yeah. it bombed. But Robin Hood Prince of Thieves is grunge whereas like you know I don't Frank know Sinatra, Rocketeers, yeah, Frank, Rocketeers Frank Sinatra. Rocketeers Frank Sinatra. And I like, agree. You know. And in that in in that tone thing it well, I was trying to find out why I kind of had problems with like Thor as an example. It's because the tone is all over the place. It it just I don't know what the tone was of that film and it Thor feels like a movie made by committee, right? And it's coming from the same studio, Disney. What I what I find super unique is the Rocketeer comes from that studio that made Thor, but in 91, everybody from the director to the performances to the set design to the costume, everybody was on the same page of we know exactly what we're making. The tone is consistent. Uh, it, it's an adventure film and it doesn't have any of that 90s sensibility to it. It has that 19, you know, 49 sensibility in my opinion. Why isn't Joe Johnson a bigger director as well? Uh, Wolfman. I, I think it, <laughs> I mean, I think Hidal- it's some he of the had Hidalgo and then Wolfman. Hidalgo. Oh God. Hidalgo. But then he nap. came back and did first Avenger and that movie should not be as good as it is. I think I think it's just some of the pro- he's he's a director for hire, right? Yeah. So he, he comes from the special like effects he- background. So I think he works on things that when they hit this lap, he's like, "Yeah, I'll do that." But I don't know if he's actually chasing like the Rocketeer. And I don't know. I would I would love to sit down and talk with him and go, "What was your love of these serials? What was your love of the comic book or something of that nature?" I wouldn't be surprised if he came back and said, "I love that stuff." Like I, I cut my teeth on special effects and I borrowed stuff from radar men on the moon or, or whatnot. Uh, but I think some of the choices of the films he decides to direct is what gets him in trouble. Sometimes. Did y'all see that uh, nutcracker in the four realms? That was him. Yeah, no, see that's uh, again, he, re- he don't do the reshoots on that. Oh, okay. So that, that was that okay. Laz Hailstrom. It was the director. I think he's that. just one of those guys. They tap and go, we know you're a, a dependable studio director. Can you do this for us? I don't know if he's definitely like chasing down properties to work on. I just feel like, I mean, like Honey, I Turned the Kids, like you said, Brad, I think that might be his best movie overall or like most successful. Rocketeer, I think is probably the, my favorite. Um, but then like October Sky, I, I actually like a lot. Like I yeah. think that's got some real good heart to it. Jumanji's good. I, it's, I mean, it's got problems. But it's got it, problems, it's but it's, fun it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. Um, Jurassic Park 3 is a movie. Um, <laughs> I like it. 
I Jurassic like Park, listen, yeah. listen, Jurassic Park 3 is, is fucking the godfather compared to what I have been it's the, forced it's the to second endure. best Jurassic Park movie. It is so, I, we cannot talk. I can, you cannot get me start started on Dominion. You can't do it. Um, and yeah, but then like, you know, Hidalgo's bad and then he goes into movie jail. He only, then, he only has like 17 directing credits total. It's so, remarkable. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think I think he's worked on so many things behind the scenes in terms of art department or visual effects or, you know, yeah. anything of that nature that I, I think he comes in when the studio needs a dependable director I, right out of the gate to do Honey and this one, I think is fantastic. I just think he yeah. should have maybe chosen his stuff a little bit more carefully and he would be a huge director. They, they have him listed as a. Uh for the Chronicles of Narnia, the silver chair, that will never happen. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. I, he's just, yeah, there's something like, I don't think there's anything that's specific to his films though. Like Rocketeer, he was clearly what, what got him Captain America. But otherwise, like if I look at his work, there's nothing that I go to. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a Joe Johnston movie. Like for the most part, like I guess sincerity would might be there's a, a somewhat of a theme of like a, a sincerity uh, that can show through because I feel like he's got some of that in Rocketeer, October Sky, Hidalgo tries it, Captain America, like some of those have a, a kind of like uh, almost sappy, almost it borders on that. Uh, in, can he does, he does nostalgia well he does nostalgia very well i don't know i i'll tell you what like i couldn't get anybody in my family to sit down and watch this again which is uh, kind of amazing to me but i really think within the film circles of people and, and we see this on on post the last few days when we said hey we're going to talk about the rocketeer and everybody's like oh my god i love the rocketeer you have this passionate fan base for it but i still think the average moviegoer they look at this and go yeah, I wouldn't watch an Errol Flynn movie. I wouldn't I wouldn't really sit down and watch one of the black and whites from the 40s or something of that nature. I don't know if if they look at this and go, it's too kid. You know, it's it's the kid version of, of Raiders of the Lost Ark, or it reminds me of the older films from the 40s and 50s I'm not interested in. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I just I really do think that other 40% or whatever who doesn't like it, they're they're just not gonna like this type of film. It's a bummer. I wish we got movies like this all the time because, like, hundred percent, yeah. This is a movie ass movie. I, this is why you go to the movies to see things like this. Um, and it, like, it's a it love like there's obviously a love for film in this movie, and it's made with people who love making films. It's just a bummer, man. It's just a real bummer. That- and there's performances. Yeah. Like there's characters and like they're yes. memorable and they do things that like it's, I, I, I'm sorry. Like I, I'm not trying to pick on this movie too. Like just like Troy said, but like it's the most recent thing I think we've all seen, but Thor love and thunder. Like, yeah, there are some characters in that or whatever, but like they're just doing <laughs> stupid sh- crap. Like there's nothing, there doesn't seem to be any real purpose or point happened through most of the movie. And it's all just tongue in cheek nonsense for the well, most part. Well, if they part. did this movie, if they did the Rocketeer now, he would be standing on that Zeppelin at the very beginning. He'd be like, "You want to know how I got here?" And then it was like <laughs> flashback to him finding it, and yeah, like he'd fall off the Zeppelin. Well, that happened. That happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's so. your? Oh no, no, no. You know exactly what they do. He'd say, "Who are you?" The Rocketeer, and then they'd laugh at him because he was a funny name. Right. Because they do that in every single MCU movie. 
Ugh, yeah, I I don't know. I don't. Uh, every time I'm I trying hear, to bag on the MCU, it's no, just it's, like it's what it is. It is, and and it's fun. Don't get me wrong. There there are, there are a lot of fun MCU films. I just I hope they don't. Well, I mean they're gonna. At some point, they're gonna try and redo the Rocketeer. It's gonna have the 2023 24 sensibilities to it, which is fine. But it's this is lightning in a bottle to me. Like you, I don't think they will, Troy. You I'm don't not think even so. Kidding. So I'm not, I'm dead serious. I have watched every single episode of that Disney junior show. Now I know that is not a remark upon the viability of the Rocketeer as a mainstream movie franchise, but they have the, some of the same problems with that dang kids show as they do with the movie. They don't know what to do with the character. They don't have any villains that make a lot of sense and they just kind of get lost in some of the nostalgia and referencing old things. Um, I'm 99% sure that show got canceled. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's canceled. It, 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 there's just so much of it is like trying to one up itself and it doesn't understand like the funness of just someone with a jetpack. Like that's what it all comes down to. It's like we all would love a freaking jetpack. It would be awesome to have a jetpack and just go outside and just go up in the sky and fly around. It would be incredible. That's all what this comes down to. And the fact that that's like not enough, I think is what will ultimately come. Well, is what ultimately will doom whoever ever will try and take this on if they do, but I just don't think they will. I just think it's something that's, if they were going to do it, they'd be doing it right now. Uh, like, <laughs> Like I feel like this is the people like us. Disney doesn't that. doesn't Disney doesn't need to do it. Uh, is the pro like Disney can focus on Star yeah. Wars and Marvel? They're fine. Yeah. The make no mistake. At some point, they're going to remake this thing. Yeah. If, or they'll if, make it into a, a Disney series. Plus six episode series that'll yeah. suck Something. and no one will care about it. Yeah. It'll be uh, you know the Rocketeer will have uh, an abandoned child that they'll have to escort on them you know somewhere through. Sorry, God, they're all the same. Yeah, I just again, I think this is lightning in a bottle. I don't think you're going to find a movie like this where it all clicks. Everything in front of the camera, behind of the camera is perfection, in my opinion. And I and it just uh, you guys have said it. I mean, it is one of the most enjoyable film experiences. I remember seeing it on the big screen. Uh, I'm, I would love a 4K release of it. I would love to see it again on the big screen. I think it can it it should be on the biggest screen possible. Um, there's a lot to love on this, especially just taking it all in from the set designs and everything. Because uh, I, I really feel like you're back in Los Angeles in 1938 when you watch this thing. But um, yeah, I mean, I can't say enough of just how impressive this is, even from a screenplay perspective. Think how many people would take that bubblegum joke that is throughout the entire film. Here, it's done. I think pitch perfect. Any other director or writer it, it kind of using that same trope, they, they wouldn't be able to pull it off with the same kind of glee that you get at the end of how it's used in, in the final climax here. Have you guys seen Lightyear? No. Yes, I have. Yep. Okay. That is a perfect example. Lightyear wants to be the Rocketeer. I Here's – okay. This Thank you that – connected that Lightyear desperately wants to be the rocketeer it does it tries really really hard to be this space adventure very sincere without a lot of like it really tries it doesn't and it fails because it's made by 2021 22 disney and there is a perfect example of that is there is a character that they that 
Buzz Lightyear befriends along the way. Um, who I think is voiced by Taika Waititi. Yeah, the pen uh, with the pen. The pen. Yeah. So there's a stupid pen that is a part of his spacesuit, and he mentions it about six times. He's like, "Oh, I got a pen. I got a pen. I got a pen." And then, sure enough, of course, it's Chekhov's pen. It's the thing that I don't even remember how, but it it saves the day at the very end. He's like. We need something small that can get into a tight space that's pointy and, and slender. And he goes, the pen, whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's not that. It's that's not funny. It's not it. That's clunky. And yeah, just, to be fair, my five year old thought that was fun. Well, and that's says a lot about Max. Yeah. I'm just no, going to say, hey. you know, yeah. But yeah. but to me that that's your 2022 <laughs> writing is it's the bubblegum thing is not obvious in this it's not you don't expect it to have the payoff that it does that's where the subtlety comes in within the screenwriting so I, I didn't see Lightyear but I don't know I I think Disney in retrospect would look back at the Rocketeer and go oh I wish Chris Pratt would be more like Billy Campbell. Uh, you I need wish. to go see Lightyear now because this is really it's an interesting that is to me the closest parallel while also not being like it it's not perfect. Uh, I'll eventually see one, it. it it's but just, I think it works as a if you're looking at yeah. what's going on. I'm sure it'll be on streaming. I'm sure it's on Disney. Plus I'll watch soon. it. I just Next I didn't week, yeah. didn't want to run out to see it in a theater. Event. It's not worth seeing in the theater, yeah. in my opinion. So. But I, I feel like Brad, like, what do you think? Uh it was probably a six and a half out of ten for me. Okay, that's higher than I'd even put it, but yeah. Okay. Well, what other thoughts do you have about the Rocketeer? I mean, Lothar. we can touch on this thing. Lothar, Lothar, oh. Yes, Lothar. we actually need your opinion on this. Okay. Lothar. So is the temperature, is it warmer up there when he's so tall, or is it? <laughs> do you think Lothar's parents were tall? <laughs> were they tall? Does Lothar have Does brothers and sisters? Does he have to sisters? duck when he goes like through doors, you think? Or do you think Lothar that? played basketball? How hard is it to find clothes that fit Lothar? <laughs> what do you think his shoe size is? I think Lothar's shoes. So the care, I forget his name. Tiny, it's Tiny Ron something. Taylor is his last Ta- name. Taylor? Tiny yeah. Ron Taylor. Yeah. Um, he's seven foot tall. He in fact did play basketball. Mm. Um, and he is not as hideous as his makeup is is designed to be. However, he is one of my all-time favorite big bad henchman like dude has more presence in those gigantic boots just walking on they introduced this guy with this slow pan he's turning off the radio he's eating like cucumber sandwiches (laughs) (laughs) no when he is when when jenny's trying to sneak out or whatever knocks because she's gene just knocks over the candles and he's eating that plate of chicken he's just eating this yeah when he's not in action he's just listening to the radio and eating chicken wings (laughs) sitting in the living room in neville sinclair's (laughs) nazi hideout (laughs) just nomming some wing stop from 1938 and he just looks so unsettled because he's like wait what was that like he's like (laughs) like, if i had a gif of that i would use it constantly because he is just so upset he's like someone disturbed my wings oh shit Um, he was a supersonic oh really i didn't know this was nba level okay yeah so well he he was was, drafted he was drafted by okay uh but he's enormous and he just carries like he just walks through every scene like Jason Voorhees. Um, he is the greatest voice in all of human history. Um, 
And he also has the most incredible laugh that's uh, he's just he's a horror movie villain that's just plopped right into this. He looks like something from the pages of a Dick Tracy comic. Yeah, he, um, yes. that's what I was thinking. He's that, yes. a Dick Tracy villain, I think. That's actually that, yeah. But like, I mean, how much flavor does he add to this though? Because like out of nowhere, there's just this menacing henchman, and like he's just this gigantic Nazi that's just roaming around. Um doing the bidding like he's also a spider-man because he's able to climb the side of a building of a hospital and enter in through the window um again he's not, he not fitting through that window it was a big window they not fit through that window. no he's not fitting that window. <laughs> come on no no he, he has he's a got, i i love the little showdown with him and that's Cliff. like you fitting in that kia it's not gonna wow it's just not yeah. gonna happen no, I love the showdown at the end between him and Cliff and how, you know, he kind of throws Cliff off of it. Cliff ends up, I mean, he's not going to win going toe to toe with Lothar. So I like how everything kind of wraps up. But um, yeah, he's he's a great villain. But he is, again, one of those things that I think is an awesome callback to, you know, the the villains of the yesteryear. So if, if you go back and look at what Rick Baker was pulling from, you know, the creeper. It, it makes perfect sense. Again, even Rick Baker was on the same page. It was just saying, we need a villain. Great. I'm going to borrow something from like the late forties that looks intimidating. Uh, and, and that's what we're going to use. Everybody, everybody was just doing a love letter. I think to adventure films of, of the thirties and forties. I just think uh, tiny, tiny Ron is, is passed away, but he needs to be immortalized. Um, he's on the Mount Rushmore of, phenomenal seven foot bad bad, bad guys uh put him up there with jaws um wow. you know he, okay. he, he he's he's incredible he's fun he bends he bends men in half that's his like his go-to move. Yeah, he turns people into accordions like that's he lets his go-to like his his michael jordan turnaround jump shot is bending you in half <laughs> well and that's like there's that great sequence where he climbs onto the top of the zeppelin he's holding that huge ass wrench <laughs> yes, <love> yes. <laughs> the best stuff totally forgot about that of all things he goes to square off one-on-one you know and Cliff's got the rocket and he puts a belt on so he doesn't fall off. And then he just pulled out a wrench from his back pocket. Yep. Like he That was just there, you know. It was just he just you just carries a wrench. Yeah. He just carries like a, a two foot wrench. No, I agree. Right, he's one of the he's one of the best. Let's get the formality out of the way. Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna start with you, Charlie. We just got done gushing over 1991's The Rocketeer. In your highly skilled opinion, is the Rocketeer a bomb? It is a reverse Hindenburg. Um, it is not a bomb whatsoever. You like what I did there? I like that. Um, yeah, it, it I'm is. To figure out what kind of sex move that is. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> oh, <laughs> Do not god. Google that. <laughs> Do not. Yeah. Oh god, the reverse Hindenburg. It's man. When you That's... don't explode. It's like blue balls. I guess is when you don't explode. Yeah. Right. There you go. Okay. Keep moving. Um. No. So now that you've done enough reverse Hindenburging, <laughs> um with your wife for the evening. Uh, it is, it's as enjoyable as, as movie making gets. Um, I think it's something that is perfect for the summertime right now. 
it is if you want to if you've got the ability to just like throw on a movie outside or not even that whatever we're talking about just put it on like a friday night hey we're gonna do movie night we got a, a fun superhero adventure movie from the and like that's old like but i think it just it works it's got some scares it's got some romance it's just it hits all the notes it's what movies should be uh, that's a great summary man i love it all right brad what's your opinion on 1991's the rocketeer is it a bomb Oh, absolutely not. I, I will I will echo what Charlie says. This is reverse Hindenburg. Yeah, reverse Hindenburg. Uh now this is this is a movie that you want to see. It I, I, again, 31 years and it still holds up really, really well. Um yeah, it's the warmest of blankets, man. Okay. Uh I would agree with both of you. It's definitely not a bomb. I absolutely love this film, if you can't tell. I think you said this, Charlie, you may have said this too, Brad. I think we've all said this. This is why you go to the movies, especially in the summer. It's great storytelling, great characters, exciting action, colorful characters. Lothar, I mean, you just, you you were dying for this type of character in an adventure film. I think it's an amazing um, to see a film based on prior source material. But even though it's based on something, uh, you know, a comic book or a serial it still has such a unique and original tone that very few filmmakers can ever match. Um, for this type of modern action film, I think Raiders of the Lost Ark is the only thing that comes to mind that can match it. And again, I would go on a limb and say it's as good as Raiders. Like both of those I would put on equal footing. It it It's that much fun to me. Um, but I love it. And I just wish more people would check it out. I really wish that this film would get a huge revival, special edition release, something that uh, with commentary, everything, like put all the bells and whistles on it. I don't, I, I'm not going to sit here the way I would with Big Trouble in Little China and go, I never want to see a remake or I never want to see a sequel. I wouldn't mind um, anything related to the Rocketeer as long as the right people were involved in it across the or board. Johnson. Yeah, um, in front yeah, of the camera and behind the camera and just bring them all back. And uh, I, I want to see that same tone, right? That same commitment to, to storytelling because I, I think it deserves it. And, and look folks, if you haven't read the comic book series, go check it out. But I would say if you really want to see what this film's borrowing from, go watch um, some of the Republic serials. They're all free on YouTube and uh, start with King of the rocket man. That that's actually a lot of fun. Um, and you can just, you know, chew a little bit off each time. There's 12 of them, 12 chapters. It It's, I don't know, it's a, it's a fun thing. like 13 minutes a chapter or something like that? Yeah, it's about that. It's under 15 minutes per chapter. So uh, tons of fun. Is it hard to find? Do you have to search from hell to breakfast to get it? No, no, <laughs> it's not that. Uh, tell you what, you watch it, you're shitting in tall corn, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Mother Mary Joseph. Uh, we got a little bit of listener feedback with a question. So let's let's tackle this one. This is from our good friend, Kevin. He says, hello, my favorite people. We all come across rumors. Are there any movie rumors that you heard that you wish had happened or something you dismissed as false but came to be? For example, I heard Tom Cruise would have a cameo as Tony Stark in the new Doctor Strange movie. Love you both, Kevin. Uh, I'm gonna start I with feel hurt. Love you both. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start with you, Charlie. Would, were there any movie rumors that you can remember that you got excited about, but ended up like not happening or a rumor that you just didn't think would ever happen. And then, and then it showed up. So, I mean, I kind of looked at this from a different angle 
um, because we talked about this prior. And so I was thinking about it kind of like projects that didn't happen in a way mm-hmm. um, that I really wanted to. And funny enough, you bring up Tom Cruise and it always comes back to Tommy. Um, as it should. As it should. For me, like the greatest, like, what if, I don't even know what you want to call it, like a rumor. And it's not even a rumor. It's verifiable. But Del Toro's at the Mountain of Madness with Tom Cruise. Like that being something that really could have happened and been a thing is just heartbreaking to me. (laughs) Um, And I I, I somewhat blame Ridley Scott for Prometheus on that. Um, But ultimately like that is something that there's two that, that always come back to for me that and then indiana jones and the city of atlantis mm-hmm. because like those i'll never understand because obviously harrison ford would rather make an indiana jones like versus literally going to do anything else in his life yeah i mean he's like 85 years old and he's like sure let's do another indie Um, So I don't understand why there weren't more entries made post last crusade and, and like Indiana Jones and the city of Atlantis is the most hand in glove marriage I've ever heard of. And I just don't understand why that something like that couldn't get off the ground. Um, It would have been incredible. I think it would have been another, a, a wonderful entry and it wouldn't have been the crystal skull. Okay. Those are good picks. I like those. What about you, Brad? Um, I kind of went along the same as Charlie. Of course, there's the Vega Brothers with Tarantino. Oh, yeah. Um, there's Kill Bill Volume 3, which would have been um, with actually, I think they even, I was rumored being with like uh, Maya Hawk with his Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawk's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, um, I know there was rumors of an ET2 uh, Nocturnal Fears. I remember hearing about um, and, but I think my favorite one um, would have been the, um, I think there was a sequel to seven, I think. And they were going to call it obviously eight um, and which is a terrible name, but uh, kind of bring back and see what happened. I, I don't know. I, I just always remember. I, I remember because seven was so big, they were going to do something called eight and it was going to be more like maybe paranormal or something like that. But yeah. Wasn't, I, wasn't there kind of a sequel to seven, but it was something the, there was an unofficial sequel. I'm not sure. I mean, I know like, what was another one? Like, uh, uh, Beetlejuice goes to Hawaii was always rumored for one. Um, yeah. What I, was I, the Bubba I, I want to say Solace. Solace was the movie with Anthony Hopkins that was supposed to be um, oh, eight. Okay. So, but it, it just totally derailed. So they started working on eight and it That's, ended up becoming okay. Solace. Yeah. yeah. So you're right. Yeah. 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 I remember like always hearing about like, what was that horror movie called? There's always a rumor of like the Poughkeepsie tapes or something like that. Oh, Poughkeepsie it tapes. was like always a rumor, always a rumor, always a rumor. Then it finally comes out. Trick or treat was like that for a while. You just heard about this movie for a long time. Uh, Bubba Hotep. Remember we were going to conventions. Oh yeah. Always about Bubba Hotep. So that's something that like finally comes to fruition. Um, 
Yeah, I guess mine one that I always thought was weird that it came true. This is just because we live in the age of the internet is the Snyder cut. Right. Yeah. So you just kept hearing like, oh no, Snyder's gonna do it. He's gonna like come back and do his cut. And like, there's no way they're gonna give him the money he needs to do that. And of course he does. And um it's better than the original, but it's still not a good movie, but whatever. So Okay. Well, my the two that came to mind for me. Uh, one constantly is going on now, uh, but it always goes on as soon as they do a transition. So I'm going to, I'm going to start there. I always enjoy hearing all the casting rumors for the next James Bond. So every time somebody says, well, this is my last James Bond film. And then the rumors start who's in talks, who's negotiating, negotiating for, for this role. Are they going to go totally different with it? Um, and so now you hear like, Hey, uh, Tom Hardy might be in the in the mix. Henry Cavill, Idris Elba. Uh, I love this article that popped up where Miles Teller's grandmother is like lobbying for him to be the next James Bond. So I I always enjoy because I I love the James Bond films. You know when when Timothy Dalton you know left and said hey I'm not doing another one. Every time you start this sequence of who's going to be the next James Bond and and for me it's always somebody super unexpected. So, uh, Daniel, I will Craig, say if, it's, if it's Tom Holland, I will give up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it's another rumor. So I like those. And then the other one that came to mind for me was, uh, in the early two thousands. So right after 2003's, uh, Freddie versus Jason, there were rumors that new line was going to do Freddie versus yep. Jason versus Ash. Ash, yeah. And I think they couldn't bring it all together because nobody could agree. Like the owners of each property couldn't agree on the screenplay. However, it did eventually become a comic book series in 2007. Um, I forgot how many issues got published, but that was a rumor that, um, you know, I, I got excited about. Then it didn't happen. Next thing you know, it's a comic book series. So there you go. I think Freddy versus Jason was the first movie that I literally followed on the Internet for way too long because it was what probably six or seven years before oh yeah right yeah they kept kicking what, it around what year all the time. was uh jason goes, goes to hell because jason goes to hell was like 94 or something like that yeah because yeah yeah because yeah, that was the tease that everyone was like uh-oh yeah. they're getting yeah. together i do want to say that like uh troy you mentioned or brad mentioned tom holland uh the uncharted rumors and the uncharted uh, i love the uncharted games adore yeah. them and again, it comes back to similar uh, things of what we're talking about here with like Rocketeer and Indiana Jones and serials and stuff like that. Uncharted, I think, is like some of the most perfect video games ever made as far as the stories and the narratives and stuff. Um, what they did to the movie is just horrid. Um, and it was in such interesting hands for the longest time with different elements of it with David O. Russell involved. Uh, then you had fans that were like stalking him as begging for them to cast Nathan Fillion. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude, Nathan Fillion's like 50. Um, and then they, I forget even who they even jumped through, but there were a bunch of different people. And then they settle on Tom Holland and it just, it never, it, you know, I know that Uncharted, I think made decent money, um, but it's terrible. And I, I think it's kind of, the franchise is kind of already dead out, dead on arrival. I don't trust them to do anything interesting in it. Casting Mark Wahlberg as Sully was a freaking travesty. Um, <laughs> you don't like my mush bash, bro? 
God, I hate Come that on, movie. Bro. I really hate the Uncharted movie. Yeah. You guys know how I get when I hate a movie. Oh, I, I know. Like, I really some hate of my Uncharted favorite movie. movie going experiences when you really hate a movie. <laughs> yeah, I really hate Uncharted like a lot. Like I really hate it. Um, I guess. I guess another one on that one that I heard rumors and rumors, and I guess Netflix is rumored to be pushing it forward is the bioshock movie remember gore verbinski was gonna yeah oh my god that was 2011 uh, or something like that yeah the absolute joy and excitement i had for gore verbinski's bioshock for like i don't know like six months was yeah exactly yeah well you'll you'll love this brad my my favorite rumors for the longest time was what what are they gonna do with the remo williams property shane black brought it you know bought it and he was supposed to be in development for it so i know how much you love that film but uh Mm -hmm. I was always hoping, yeah. just hoping yeah. for something Remo Williams in this day and age, uh, but it's just in development hell. You know, Bioshock, Remo Williams, <laughs> just yep. properties that are iconic. I know. agree. Remo Williams, probably more than Bioshock. <laughs> um, Brad, what are we doing next week? Next, next week's week, kind of interesting. We have a little bit of a treat. We're going to do two films directed by uh, the one, the only Aaron Norris. Oh, Lord. And if you're not. Did our wives program next week? uh, (laughs) If you're not familiar with Aaron Norris, he is the, I believe, younger brother of Chuck Norris. We are going to do a kick his ass. I'll kick Chuck Norris's ass. A sidekick (laughs) from 1992. And then we're going to do Top Dog from 1995. We're doing two movies in one week? Yes. I have seen sidekicks. Way too many times. I know. Uh-huh. Psych- I know every word of sidekicks, start to finish. Oh so, like, how I, you know? I'm I'm not here for sidekicks, but I need you guys to do like a like at least a 25 minute in memoriam for Jonathan Brandis. Yeah, he's hard to make fun of because he did hang himself. So yeah, and uh, but and it's just like, I mean, come on, man! Like that ki- that kid was so. I mean, he was the '90s. Like he just was. Like that dude in the in the It movie in Sequest. Did y'all watch Sequest? Uh, yes. Yeah. I freaking lived for Sequest. Give me Roy Scheider, like look, like absolutely phoning uh, it in every Ladybugs, single week, if you will. Ladybugs, which was a very very uh, confusing um, <laughs> movie for me as a young young boy. Um, You're like he's kind of hot, but he's. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Sidekicks or Top Dog, so I'm kind of I'm kind of uh, That's excited. What? Yeah, you've never seen Sidekicks. How have you never seen Sidekicks? Because I saw the trailer to Sidekicks, and I'm like, "There's no way I'm watching that film." <laughs> oh, it's a hate crime. Okay, it's I. You know, I don't know if I would go as far as I say a hate crime, but uh, it's the least, Asian character they do some shit to that. Asian it's at least a terrorist movie. attack. I no, mean, okay. it's it's at least that. Well, let let's just say that the two movies for next week definitely bombed uh, in the critic category. I think one of those two films actually <laughs> made some money, and the other one totally did not. Yeah, Joe Piscopo is definitely flying that plane into it. With two, to, I'm not gonna say. It. Yeah. I'm just gonna stop. No, okay. he. Well, he he's flying it right into Pearl Harbor. There you yeah, go. Okay. That one's a hundred years old. Uh, it'll it'll be fun. I'm I'm excited to go back and visit those. Although I'm I, I don't think I'm going to get Tabitha to watch either of those. I might have to to beg and plead, but uh, we'll see what happens. There's not a chance in any world. I don't think she'll watch. I, there's either. no yeah. chance. Uh, Brad, if anybody wants to write in and tell us their thoughts on this week's film, the rocketeer or, uh, any of the movies we've talked about, or give us some suggestions on bombs. How do they get a hold of us? Yeah, that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 
Um, you could also go to notabombpodcast.com, hit the contact us uh, button there, leave us a suggestion. Um, if you want to leave us a review on whatever platform you get our podcasts on, that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, leave us a review there. Yeah. And I, again, thank you everybody for sending emails in um, both messengers uh, or messaging on Facebook Messenger, Instagram. I think we've got some stuff from Twitter. We try to respond as quickly as possible. We love the interaction. Uh, as Brad said last episode or a couple episodes ago, we're so happy about um, the community and, and everybody kind of reaching out to us. We would love to hear your thoughts on anything we talk about. So please keep sending it. Uh, Charlie, I am so happy. I, I know you're super busy and I, I just want to say thank you because with all the stuff going on in your world to take even just a couple of hours to talk, uh, to us about anything, I know you had to like move the the mountains and, and the lakes, sun, moon, and stars to make it happen, but I can't thank you enough, man. It's been so much fun. Hey, anytime you guys want me, I'll try and be here. Absolutely, man. It's going to be a lot because we love having you on. Well, uh, we, are, we know what you're coming back for. In yeah, in a little while, and I can't wait. Yeah, I'm super excited for that one. Ugly, I, I'm not going to spoil gorilla. it. I'm not going to spoil. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop eating my sesame cake, <laughs> Amy. Amy, I had to explain that movie to my wife the other day <laughs> for a good five minutes. We don't have time for this. We have to no, wait. Sorry. We have to wait. Have okay, to wait. all right. Uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for downloading this week's show and hearing our thoughts on the Rocketeer. Come back next week, or maybe skip next week. I don't know. I haven't seen either of these films. Uh, if you're like, man, I'm not into the Chuck Norris thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit out a week. Okay, fine. But for me, I get to experience Sidekicks and Top Dog. I- I'm excited. Any, any kind of buddy cop dog film, I'm in. So I have to imagine this one's gonna be amazing. Uh, but yeah, go watch those and play along next week, and uh, we'll catch you then. Don't lose your head. <laughs>